Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. in only a handful of teams remain as undefeated but there's more than a few teams that are winless in the National Football League good morning welcome to RP3 and company I'm the big bald and beautiful one Raymond Parch the third I'm joined of course by the producer extraordinaire a woman who puts safety above everything else, especially on the road. Miss Hannah, five names. We have a tremendous show lined up for you today. Four guests. Brett Chancy will join us at straight up 7 o'clock from the Locked On Astros podcast. At 7.15, Coach Dez with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. At 8 o'clock, Jim Gazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press will join us. Talk all things McNeese. And then John Sheeran, our old friend from Cincy Jungle, will join us at 8.30 today to talk about one of those teams that has started off 0-2, a surprising 0-2. But let's start off today's show talking about the Monday Night Football doubleheader, but it really wasn't a doubleheader because the games were going on at the same time, which caused confusion and some folks not to be too happy online. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Because I received text messages. What do you mean they're going on at the same time? Well, they're going on at the same time. Sorry, but that's what's going on. You have to pick and choose which one you want to watch. Let's start with the Buffalo Bills. I said before the start of the season, you could see Josh Allen state claim by the end of the year that he is the best quarterback in the National Football League. The Bills were a trendy pick to be the AFC representative for the Super Bowl, to be the Super Bowl champion finally. They're stacked. Allen, Stephon Diggs, they added Von Miller in the offseason. They, they're coming off the heartbreak of losing to Kansas City in the divisional round a year ago in the playoffs, a game they probably should have won. And, man, they just play. They go out there and they play like they're the best team on the planet. And it's early. It's only been two weeks. But the Tennessee Titans were the one seed a year ago. Now, they got upset in the playoffs, obviously. But it's not like they don't have players. It's not as if they don't have guys out there that have playoff experience that understand 
how to play the game of football. Yet, that's not how the Monday night game went. The Bills absolutely dominated the Tennessee Titans. Just, it was a blowout early. So much so that Josh Allen had some time to rest. They brought in the backup in this game. At the end of the third quarter. It wasn't even a full-on performance from Josh Allen. He hooked up with Stephon Diggs for three touchdown passes. Josh Allen went 26 of 38 for 317. Four touchdowns, no picks, only sacked once. 41 to 7 was your final score. Bills have started off 2 and 0. Tennessee has started off 0 and 2. Ryan Tannehill was Ryan Tannehill. 11 of 20 for 117 and two picks, no touchdowns. Derrick Henry was not a factor. He did have the one touchdown, but that was it. Only had 25 yards on the ground, 13 carries. Things got out of hand quickly. So much so that Case Keenum got some run in this game. Stephon Diggs continues to be an absolute monster. 12 catches for 148 yards and three touchdowns. And if you're Tennessee, you're looking around. Now, they made some decisions, the Titans did, financial ones. They let some wide receivers go. Julio Jones left. They traded their best wide receiver in the offseason. Coming off being the one seed and being upset in the playoffs. Titans look like they're a tad in trouble. Just a little bit in trouble. So on one hand, you had Buffalo crushing the faces of the Tennessee Titans. In the other game, you had a team that we continue to doubt if they're any good. Continue to doubt to say that they're possibly going to be a contender, that they can win the NFC East. Philadelphia Eagles are a good football team. They're not dominant like Buffalo, but the Eagles are a good football team. They beat the Vikings last night in the other game on Monday night, the one that you were able to listen to here on the game, 24-7. to It wasn't as close as the score would indicate. Jalen Hurts, 26-31, 333 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He also had 57 yards rushing and two touchdowns. But I was told Jalen Hurts can't play quarterback. 26 of 31. Uh, I had a five names. Can you do me a solid? Um, you have a diploma from the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. You're an educated young lady. Can you calculate what that completion percentage is if you make 26 out of 31 passes? If you could go ahead and just type that up. And go ahead and share that with us all so we can I can go ahead. That'd be a eighty three point eight percent. Wow. So eighty three point eighty three percent completion percentage, three hundred and thirty three yards. Okay. And he also added fifty seven yards. Yeah. 
maybe, maybe, just hear me out, as much as they've wanted to bag on Jalen Hurts, maybe he can actually play quarterback in the NFL. Whoa, whoa, timeout. Very efficient night on the ground and in the air for him. Miles Sanders added 80 yards on the ground, 24-7. Kirk Cousins did what he typically does in a primetime game. This is becoming a thing. If you have Kirk Cousins and he plays at noon or at 3 o'clock, he's good. Puts up good numbers. He's efficient. For some reason, when Kirk plays at night in a primetime game, you get the bad Kirk Cousins. 27 of 46 for 221. One touchdown and count them. One, two, three interceptions. QBR of 17 and a half. Dalvin Cook only had six carries for 17 yards. They couldn't run the ball. Philly's defense bottled that up, took that away. And the Eagles are now 2-0. Week two is in the books. And it's early. But it's always a good time to remind everyone that nearly half the playoff participants from the year before don't make the playoffs the next year. That's typically the standard in the NFL. So just because your team made it to the postseason last year is not a guarantee that they will make it the following year. That's what makes the NFL so interesting. In the NFC, the Eagles and the Giants, who had that, are both 2-0 to start the season. The team projected to win the division is 1-1, along with the Washington Commanders. The Giants are finding ways to win ballgames with Daniel Jones not throwing for more than 200 yards. If it works for them, it works for them. But Eagles-Giants are 2-0. All four teams in the NFC North are 1-1. That's right, the Packers have the same record as the Lions and the Bears. NFC South, Tampa's 2-0, Saints 1-1, and then the Panthers and the Falcons are both 0-2, which is not all that surprising, right? Falcons are in a rebuild. So are the Panthers. Panthers look like they're probably going to fire Matt Rule during the season. And then out west in the NFC West, every team's one and one. It's a bit of an interesting logjam. But in the AFC, things are interesting. Dolphins and Bills are both 2-0. and Jacksonville leads the AFC South, which may be the worst division in football. Kansas City, 2-0, not surprising. Chargers, Broncos, both 1-1. But you look at the teams that are 0-2 to start off the season in the AFC. The Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. They caught fire last year, had a special season, nearly won the Super Bowl. The Las Vegas Raiders, 0-2. They were a wild card team a year ago. Things have not started off well with Devontae Adams and Derek Carr. They had the fans popping champagne, though, on Sunday. And then uh, they lost the game. 
and the Tennessee Titans, who were the number one seed in the AFC playoffs a year ago, got upset. But all three of those teams were in the playoffs a year ago. And all three of those teams have the worst records in the AFC as it stands right now after two weeks. Now, it's early. Plenty of football left. Plenty of time to turn things around. Some of these teams that are 2-0 and may go on a skid and be, end up being uh, having a losing record, if you will. But it's a little surprising. And that leads us to our poll question of the day. Now that the second week of the NFL season is in the books after the doubleheader or just two games, if you will, they weren't played back-to-back. Which AFC playoff team from 2021 is the most surprising this year? Running away with it, of course, is the Cincinnati Bengals. 69% of you say them. 23% say the Las Vegas Raiders. And 8% say the Tennessee Titans. I think everyone expected the Titans to take a step back. Just the feel of it in the offseason. They were the number one overall seed. They got upset. They let their wide receivers go. They're sticking with Tannehill. Not really for sure what's going on there. Derrick Henry's coming off the injury. Let's get to some comments. Early comments already. Y'all ready to roll this morning. Darren, number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and company, says Bengals have no line. One division because Ravens were hurt. You know you know they done. Titans lost a lot when they picked Willis. You knew it was for a reason. Raiders is the pick because even though they barely made the playoffs last year, they had Adams, but they're still the Raiders. It's a fair assessment. Ton says, I really thought since he had made the investments needed to protect Burrow, that squad would be frightening if Burrow had time to pass and stayed upright. JPK, the OD, says the Titans. Raiders lost to two good teams by a combined 11 points. The Bengals have lost by a combined six points. The Titans lost to a pitiful Giants team and just got railed by the Bills. I'm going Titans. Joe Cola. Burrow won't do it, but he should start talking about trade option. Apparently, that might be the only way to light a fire and get the protection he needs. His career might not last out his contract at this point. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. We're going to ask more about Cincinnati. We're going to talk more about the Bengals because they invested in their offensive line this offseason. They drafted and they signed guys. Now, are they not good because they haven't had time to gel because of the preseason? Or are they just not good? And some of it has to fall on Joe because he holds on to the ball a little too long. But they're surprising at 0-2. And we'll talk more about that when John Sheeran joins us later on today's show. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to talk Houston Astros baseball. They were a winner-winner chicken dinner last night. We'll get to that next right here on The Game. 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Yellow. This is The Game. 103.7 Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
Lafayette Marble and Granite, they offer the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble in Acadiana. And let me tell you, they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you before, Chris and his team over at LMG, they provide more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, your bathrooms, and your man caves. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free showers. That's right. No muss, no fuss, and more importantly, no odor. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the great line of products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. So visit lmgelite.com or simply stop by their showroom, which is soon to be renovated, located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Monday Night Football had two games last night as the Buffalo Bills destroyed the Tennessee Titans, making them 0-2 on the season. And the Eagles, behind a very good performance by Jalen Hurts in their defense, walked right over the Minnesota Vikings to improve to 2-0 on the season as well. That puts Week 2 in the books. But in addition to having NFL action on tap last night, you also had Major League Baseball coming down the home stretch here. And the Houston Astros defeat the Tampa Bay Rays on the road. And the Rays are a good team. They're going to be a hard out in the postseason. Beat them 4 to nothing, And in doing so, they clinched the American League West Championship for the fifth time in six years. That's what we like to call... A good little run. Once again, they've been to the ALCS five straight years, three World Series appearances in that stretch. They're looking to make it four World Series appearances, six ALCSs this year in a row. Quite the run for the Strokes. Luis Garcia, boy, he was good. Got his 13th win of the season. Pitched five innings. Only gave up two hits, no runs. Walked four, struck out four, but didn't give up any home runs. And then the rookie. And this is what's going to happen, by the way. Hunter Brown, who was dominant in AAA, they brought up. He won his first two starts, including one in his hometown of Detroit. Well, guess what he did last night? They brought him in, and he worked three innings in relief. Gave up two hits in three innings, no earned runs, only walked one, struck out three, and then handed it off to Neris, who came in for the final inning of the ballgame. I do believe that's what you're going to see them do with Hunter Brown in the postseason. I think he's making the postseason roster. And I think you're going to have somebody that can come in and just eat up innings for you and who has dominant stuff. I believe that's what you're seeing here, that they're going to transition him into that role. Verlander's back, so you got Verlander, Framer, Jose Arquiti, Luis Garcia, Christian Javier, Lance McCullers. you got six guys right now. And you got a guy who's already 2-0 and in his first two starts as a rookie. Now you can just move him over to the bullpen and let him eat up innings. Someone I saw someone tweeted this out yesterday. 
it's not even really fair to have that type of advantage, to have that type of pitching advantage. And their bullpen's good to begin with. Now you're just adding another guy to it. Whoa. That's what it feels like to me. It feels like they're going to make that that transition. All right, Hunter, we know you can be a starting pitcher, but you know what? For this run, for us trying to win a World Series championship, we need you to come out of the pen too. I think that's what you're going to see. I think Brown's going to make the postseason roster as a rookie. At the dish, Jose Altuve. Hey, yeah, look, Jose's just doing Jose things. Sets the tone right there in the first with the solo shot. Have you ever seen a guy so tiny have so much power? I know foot calls a mighty mouse, right? You ever seen somebody that small just be able to just blast the ball like he does? Alvarez had an RBI single in the sixth inning. Bregman had an RBI double that brought in two runs. They're also in the sixth. Not a ton of runs last night, but that's all you needed. That's kind of the sweet spot for Kevin Foote, I do believe. Nice little 4 nothing win on the road, nonetheless, against a playoff team or a team that projects to be in the playoffs. Altuve, two hits. Bregman, two hits on the night. Solid win. Tampa Bay. Look, Tampa Bay is an 82-win team. 82 wins. Last time I checked, that's pretty good. We'll go on a limb and say that's that's pretty good. And this could very well be a preview of the playoffs. You could see these two teams meet up in the postseason. And Tampa could give the Astros some trouble. But the Strohs clinch the AL West yet again. But they're not concerned about the AL West. What they're concerned about now, after they've locked up the division title and are the first team, by the way, in the American League to clinch a playoff spot, despite the Yankees being an 88-win team, they still haven't been able to do that because the Blue Jays and the Rays are kind of only five and a half games behind them. So they're the first to clinch. They're in. Fifth time in six years as the ALS champs. But, all that said, they like to get home field advantage. And their magic number is only a few games on that. Because they hold now a comfortable lead over the Yankees. So it looks like in the next week, week and a half, Strohs could also lock up home field advantage throughout the American League playoffs. Now, as for the other races, it looks like the Guardians are pulling away in the Central. The White Sox are just, you know, they've been 7-3 and three in their last 10. The problem for them is that Cleveland's been 8-2 and two in their last 10. There are full four, four games back of the Guardians for the division title. Twins, I don't believe, are an option. They're 73-74. and 74. Royals, Tigers have already been eliminated, as have the Angels, Rangers, and Athletics from playoff contention. And you look at the wild card standings now in the American League. Blue Jays still have the top spot. 
Tampa is right behind them, and Seattle has stumbled a little bit here. They're half game behind Tampa Bay for the second spot. But Seattle has a five-game cushion on Baltimore. So that, look, when you're a wild card team, you just want to be one of the three this year. So Seattle's still in great shape there. They just have to hold off the Orioles. And the problem why we have a logjam here for the wild card is that Tampa, Seattle, and Baltimore all have gone four and six in their last ten. They've had about a week and a half they'd like to forget. And then behind Baltimore is the White Sox at five and a half back. So it looks like, to me, you're still going to have the Blue Jays, Rays, and Mariners. It depends on how the, you know, how the positioning is, so to speak, for the wild cards. But Houston Astros, first team in the American League to punch their ticket to the postseason, winning the division title for the fifth time in six years. In the National League, you look at what's going on. The Mets have clinched a playoff berth, but not the division title. They only hold a one-game lead over the Braves. St. Louis has a comfortable eight-and-a-half game lead over the Brewers. I like St. Louis to win that division. And then the Dodgers, who are at 102 wins to only 44 losses, have already clinched the division. They're a full 21-and-a-half games up on the Padres in second place. It's going to be a monstrous. If you're the Dodgers, you have to win the World Series. That has to be the expectation. You're spending all that money. If you don't win the World Series, oof, it's going to be a lot, of, a lot of unhappy people that go to the games out there in the ravine. we got to take a timeout. We'll talk more Houston Astros when Brett Chancey joins us at 7 o'clock this morning, our buddy from the Locked On Astros podcast. But next, Coach Dez, Coach Kelly. Both had different weekends, but we'll hear from Coach Kelly. That'll be coming up next. He held his press conference yesterday. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code 1037GAME, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years of age to play, physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. Bonus is issued as a free bet. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Parlay and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility in terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles. Gambling problem? Call 1-877-770-STOP. Let's talk a little LSU football. Big win over Mississippi State. First win in SEC play for Brian Kelly's team. They improved to 2-1 and one on the season. And now they gear up to take on New Mexico. The Lobos come to Tiger Stadium on Saturday. Eh, not going to be, you know, the most competitive game. <laughs> but the schedule kind of sets up interesting for LSU. They play New Mexico, which means it gives them an opportunity to improve to 3-1. and one. They go on the road to take on an Auburn team that is, let's be honest, kind of in trouble, looks bad. They tried to fire their coach in the offseason. They may try to still fire him during the season. And then it's back home against Tennessee, on the road at Florida, back home at Ole Miss, and then the bye week before the Bama game. So, going to find out a lot about this LSU team, even heading before the Alabama game. Then after the Alabama game, you have Alabama, Arkansas, and A&M. And then a UAB game thrown in there for good measure. So this is going to be an interesting stretch. They need the win on Saturday against New Mexico. Auburn seems to be a winnable game for them. And then, you know, Tennessee's going to be tough. Ole Miss is going to be tough. Florida's going to be tough. So they have three tough games in October. But they're enjoying the victory right now. And Jane Daniels proves that he is a player. He can get the job done. It may take a little while for them to get started. It may take a little while for him to get started. But at the end of the day, Daniels is making game-winning plays for this team. And Brian Kelly spoke about what's it like coaching him and those conversations that have been used to help correct things, to help make him better, how well they've gone. I love coaching somebody that is open to the dialogue uh, during the game. You can have conversations with him during the game, and he can make the corrections uh, in game. Some can't, and so you just don't even try to do those things. But, you know, Coach Sloan is, is talking much more conceptual. I'm trying to deal with some technical things, you know, on the sideline because sometimes I don't have the big – conceptual picture from the sideline you know he's handling both ends of that you know where you know uh, coach Sloan is talking about some concepts and some some different looks and I'm trying to really focus on some specific things and I think that that's worked out pretty good and he handles both of those conversations really well that's what you want to hear from you're an LSU fan you want to hear that your quarterback your starting quarterback is coachable you heard Kelly even say it. Sometimes you can't do that with guys. But with Jaden, you can. You can just pull him aside and say, hey, this ain't working. You're not doing it right. Do it this way. 
the kid can make in-game adjustments. That's what you want, especially with a team in a rebuilding mode that LSU is. That is not a great roster. I think we can all admit to that. They have some talented players, but it's not a great roster. It's not a deep roster. So there's going to be a lack of consistency from this LSU team, this LSU offense this year. Offensive line is not very good. It's going to take a while, and different teams are going to game plan, which means LSU is going to have to find different ways to win ballgames, which means you're not going to see Jane Daniels out there every week throwing for, you know, 60% of his passes, completing 60% of his passes, throwing for 320 yards and three touchdowns. There's going to be some weeks where it's going to have to look a little bit different. They're going to have to maybe nickel and dime a team or whatever it might be. But the fact that he's receptive to that type of in-game coaching is a great sign, especially with him being the leader of your offense. In the opener against Florida State, special teams were an issue. Two muff punts, missed kicks, and a punt that went like 15 yards. It was not a good night inside the Superdome. They've worked at getting better with their special teams, and Kelly spoke on the progress they're being made there and what's still left to do. Yeah, so a couple things. Um, you know, the, 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 the kickoffs are – uh, a direct result of the kicks. Um, the, the kicks that have been returned um, have been line drives down the middle of the field. That is going to compromise your coverage. We don't have a chance to get off blocks and get properly covered. Um, now, uh, can we get off some blocks and, and make some plays? Absolutely. And we've got to be better there. So this is not all on the kicker. However, um, it does expose you with those types of kicks. Um, as it relates to the fielding of um, the punts, uh, we got to coach better. I mean, and I've got to be involved in that and, and make sure that those guys are absolutely clear in terms of they cannot move their heels, you know, past the 10-yard line. Still a work in progress. But they're working on it. Look, this is not a vintage LSU special teams unit, but we're so accustomed to watching them play with great special teams, great kicker, great punter, great gunners, return guys. That's just not what they are. Now, they can be serviceable, and you can coach them up during the season. You just hope it doesn't cost you a game. Right? That's the big thing. You hope it doesn't cost you a game. Brian Kelly, veteran coach, Central Michigan, had a ton of success, Cincinnati, Notre Dame. Now he's here. And a big thing for him, part of his coaching philosophy, his mantra, if you will, is making sure to keep the players' strength up throughout the season. He likes his team to have the endurance to be able to go the distance what is he and the strength and conditioning staff doing to ensure that? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's how you practice. Um, we don't condition during practice or after practice. So it's, it's a matter of, you know, managing the practice structure itself, that you are getting your team to a workload that the games become easier. And then you start to see that in the, in the third and fourth quarter where you can wear down your opponents. You know, we're weight training during the season, and it's not a maintenance program. It's a program that 
you know, we're not putting our guys in a compromising position where they've got too much weight on the bar, but, you know, we're being powerful with, with our weight training and, and really intentional about, you know, trying to get our guys stronger during the season. So we want to continue to add strength. We want to continue to condition our players, but also with an eye towards, you know, making sure that their workload is such that um, they can be their best on Saturday. They turn their attention now 2-1 and one on the season to New Mexico. And Kelly was asked, look, the opponent obviously is a step down from what you just faced inside Tiger Stadium, but it's the next game up on the schedule. So how are they preparing this week for the Lobos? As we move forward now, uh, getting another home game, I'm excited to be you know, in Tiger Stadium again. Uh, for a third consecutive week. But now we have to look towards um, persistence and consistency. Looking at a, uh, a football team now that, that has a chance to be a good team, you have to have consistency. And that means coming back after a good win and putting together a complete performance. And so that's, that is mental and physical and that is in how they prepare. So we start that preparation today, we work through the week, so, you want to hear that as well. Yeah, okay, we got another game at home. That's great. Let's be more consistent throughout the entire week, during the preparation, leading up to the game day, and everything like that. So, Tigers, once again, will be taking on New Mexico on Saturday. We'll have that game for you, of course, right here on the game. We got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll update the poll question of the day and wrap up our number one. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. In Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a brand new pool, minor landscaping, really doesn't matter, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year. And look, there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, just call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Just tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple. It's free of charge. And guess what? It's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service. And to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, remind you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig. Let's take a moment here to check in on our poll question of the day. Now that the week two of the NFL season is wrapped up, which team that made the playoffs a year ago is now 0-2, are you the most surprised by? All three of these teams are in the AFC. One of them was the top overall seed. The other one played for the Super Bowl. Bengals, of course, played for the Super Bowl. The Raiders were a wildcard team a year ago. And the Tennessee Titans were your number one overall seed. All three of them are 0-2 to start the 2022 season. So who are you the most surprised by? Right now, 61% of you say Cincinnati, 22% say Tennessee, and 17% of you say the Las Vegas Raiders. 
Brad on Twitter says, the Bengals shouldn't be surprising because it's almost a guarantee that the team that loses the Super Bowl will struggle the next season. They may turn it around, but for now, it's not that surprising. Doug has chimed in on Twitter as well. Since he had coach, has to go. He's going to end Joe's career because he can't fix the O-line and he can't call plays. Joe needs to find another team. There seems to be a little tension there, maybe, between Joe and his head coach. When you hear him in the press conference yesterday, or on Sunday, rather, state things like, you know, the way we won games last year isn't going to how isn't how we're going to have to win games this year. Well, you got all the pieces back. How's that? Why? I don't think he and his coach are on the same page. Now, that can be changed. We've seen this a lot in the NFL where the head coach and the quarterback are not on the same page, and then they figure it out, and then they can just, you know, make magic together. And once again, Cincinnati's coming off a Super Bowl appearance. They were able to catch fire, get into the postseason, and have that magical run, and they nearly won the Super Bowl. So they got the talent. But their big offseason focus was fixing the offensive line. Through two games, they haven't done that. Still early. Once again, remember, the reduction in preseason games plays a role in this. Less reps, less time to gel. That could be playing a role. Or you're hopeful that's what it is and that Cincinnati's offensive line will come together. But you worry that it won't, and once again, Joe's going to get sacked a bazillion times this year. We'll talk more about the Bengals' troubles to start the season when John Sheeran joins us at 8.30 today. But coming up next, Brett Chancey from the Locked On Astros podcast will join us. Astros win the division for the fifth time in the last six years. We'll break it down with Brett. That's next, right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. It's Cozart. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Houston Astros win the AL West for the fifth time in six years. First team in the American League to punch their ticket to the postseason as they now sit at 97-51 and 51 overall following last night's road win against the Tampa Bay Rays. To break down this run that the Astros have had and the fact that their magic number is now seven to, win, to have home field advantage throughout the American League playoffs, and it's only the middle of September, is our friend from the Locked On Astros podcast, Brett Chancy joins us now. Brett, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Man, I'm great. I mean, what what better day is it than a Tuesday when you wake up and the Astros do exactly what you expected them to, and you get to see flashes of brilliance from a young Justin Verlander 2.0 and Hunter Brown help just feel a shutout at the Tropicana, you know, at the Trop, because the Astros haven't had a ton of success in Tampa. 
No, they haven't. Tampa's always been kind of a thorn in their side, so to speak, Brett. And, and let's let's talk about Brown in particular because he had two very good starts, won them both, including one in his hometown of Detroit. But what I saw last night, I expect to see from him moving forward, in particular in the postseason, because now that you got Verlander back, you got your rotation, right? You got Verlander, you got Framer Valdez, Jose Arquiti, Luis Garcia, Christian Javier, and Lance McCullers Jr. So you got six guys, and Brown's already pitched in relief before in the AAA. They had him do that there. Is what we saw last night, is that what we can expect to see in the postseason? I think so. Of course, we have what's called a we have a treasure trove of re, of resources. You know, outside of the starters, I mean, in your relievers, you got Abreu, Maton, Montero, Nerys, Presley, Stanek, and then is Will Smith going to make the roster because of his World Series experience? That to me, I think, is the person that depends. If Brown isn't on the ALDS roster, I think he's on the ALCS and World Series. But who knows? I don't know how the Astros are going to go at this, but he would be perfect. And Ben DeBose and I, the other day, brought him on as a guest. He covers sports. He covers Houston sports. And we talked about how if Hunter Brown has success in this role, then that opens up a spot for, I believe, Christian Javier to be your fourth starter over Urquidy or even Garcia. So it depends on how the Astros think they can utilize him. I think if he's off the ALDS roster, he may get put on the ALC or ALCS roster and be a taxi squad guy for the ALDS, which would make sense to me. But you absolutely have to use this kid in the pen. He is nails. He is fire. And this is what the rest of the league is not going to have a lot. They're not going to have a lot of experience against him. And he may only need one trip through the rotation, and that would be your perfect kind of X factor or secret weapon, almost unfair to a point, to be honest. You get Verlander back, but you still got Framer Valdez, who's just carried the load, so to speak, for this team while Verlander was out. He sets a Major League Baseball record on Sunday as the Astros win with another quality start. Kind of put in perspective the type of season Framer's had. Framer Valdez, if it wasn't for Justin Verlander being on this team, would be the Astros' leading Cy Young candidate, plain and simple. This guy has gone through an amazing transformation as a pitcher mentally. He's always had the stuff, but he's been able to put it together on the mound, and he's absolutely dominating. Remember, he is the guy that Mike Trout said has the meanest or sickest curveball in all of Major League Baseball, and that's pretty high praise coming from one Mike Trout. What Framber Valdez has done is he has shown us that really – if you call him the ace of the staff, I don't think it's a knock on Verlander. I think it's a tip of the cap to what Valdez can do because he can go out there. He can induce the ground balls. He can spin the curveball. He can get strikes. He can throw the heat. His fastball moves. And the team behind him, he trusts them, and they trust him as a pitcher. I mean, this guy gets to pick the uniform when he's on the mound. What pitchers do that but Framber Valdez? What do you make of the rest of the rotation, and how do you think it's going to be set up for the postseason? I think it's going to be Justin Verlander, Framber Valdez, Lance McCullers Jr., and I believe Christian Javier. I believe that's who is going to be in the four. And 
I could be wrong. It could be Rikidi. It could be Garcia. But if if I'm picking the rotation, I want Christian Javier. Now, why is that, Brett? Because Rikidi is the one that has the World Series experience. Yeah. So, but if you watch Rikidi of late, he's been very he he hasn't been consistent, and I, I just think with where Javier is and what he's what he's been able to do. Um. Urquidy, to me, is a guy that you slot in in the ALCS as a starter. But then again, they may go with Urquidy because of his World Series. I mean, he's the only he's, – he's got the most World Series win, I believe, on the staff as a pitcher. So that would not be a bad option. I just – there's something about Christian Javier that, for me, I'm putting him in the four spot. We're talking with Brett Chancey of the Locked on Astros podcast. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. All right, pitching staff's been good. What do you make of the lineup in particular, the way uh, Jordan Alvarez has performed the last week or so? Oh, man, you want to talk about um, crushing all my doubts and fears because I was the one saying, are you sure his hand is healthy? Are you sure Jordan's healthy? And then he goes 524 the last week, crushing five home runs. I was at the Sunday game when he hit two doubles that were like barely four feet from going over the fence. And – Jordan Alvarez getting the double he got yesterday, driving in runs, not just with the long ball, but even out in the field. His arm, he has a cannon. Jordan Alvarez is hot. The league has been warned. (laughs) We're bringing Jordan Alvarez, and the other bats are coming with him because when he gets hot, the team just puffs their chest up a little bit more. Altuve's been hot as well. So is Bregs. So is Alvarez. But a guy that's been consistent, especially this season and a breakout season for him, of course, is Kyle Tucker. And I made a comment the other day on the air, Brett, that when the Astros need a big hit, he seems to be their guy. He has grown and matured in front of our eyes. And he's become, I feel, probably their most underrated star, their underrated everyday player. I would agree with that 100%. And I think Kyle Tucker, not only with his bat, I mean, his glove, his his arm. <laughs> when you hit the guy a ball, he's going to laser it in faster than, you, faster than you hit it to him almost. I mean, the guy is a cannon, and he can steal bases. He's got speed, and he's actually one of our better base runners. And so Kyle Tucker is very valuable to this team. I think you're going to see Kyle Tucker – have a very good postseason, and have some clutch hits. I think you're going to see your normal Altuve and Bregman stuff. But I think more than ever, you're going to see Kyle Tucker making a difference in this lineup and why the Astros have never, ever considered putting him in any kind of a trade deal and why they developed this kid and brought him up. And hopefully, in this offseason, they sign him to an extension. Do you expect... Trey Mancini to be an everyday starter for the postseason, or do you think the jury's still out on that? You know, that is a good question. I would like Mancini to get more starts. You can't deny what Yuli Gurriel has been doing lately with his glove at first. I know Mancini's a better bat, but if they feel like they need a better bat or there's a better matchup where Mancini is, is the most favorable option at the plate, Mancini may get the nod over Yuli Gurriel. Now, I don't know if that means he plays every day in the playoffs. You may start. You may see him play more towards the end of the postseason, and that may determine 
how much of a role he plays on an everyday starter mode. Because Trey Mancini said yesterday, I love this clubhouse. I loved it from the moment I got here. There's just something different here. It's just really special to be a part of this. Because they asked him, like, hey, you know, what's it like? And he was like, this is amazing. I love it. So he apparently has embraced his role. I think the more success he has through September, the more chance you see him out at first base or DH or just in this lineup to contribute. Brett, their magic number is seven now to get home field advantage throughout the American League playoffs. I've argued that really doesn't matter, not to a veteran team like the Astros. I mean, they're good away from Minute Maid, too. They're 47 and 28 on the year. So it's not like they don't understand how to win on the road. And heck, they won a World Series by winning the games on the road. So they understand what it takes to win on the road. Is it a big deal to have home field advantage this postseason, though, this upcoming postseason? I don't think it's as big of an advantage as typically you make it in sports because the whole point of home field advantage is is to say, okay, we're going to counter what a visiting fans or what, what, what other opponents, you know, elements in their ballpark can bring to rattle us and shake us. And like you said, the proof is in the pudding. They win on the road. When they won in 2017, they won on the road. They clinched the World Series on the road. So this team, I think, is so poised and so experienced that home field advantage or not, this team, I think, stands, stands the best chance against anybody they face. Now, with that being said, of course the Astros want, want to have home field advantage. You want to have and know on the calendar that there's more home games than not. But with this team, I think it's homogenous. I think it's the same. Home and away, it's a game, and it's a victory, and that's the way this team's going to look at it. Who presents the biggest threat to them as it stands right now? You know, we had talked about this on the show last night. I I really I don't want to face the Blue Jays just because of George, the whole George Springer thing, the Springer dingers. I don't want to see those come back. I don't want to see his playoff clutch home runs. But really, honestly, I'm going to surprise you a little bit. I don't want, and this may happen, the Cleveland Guardians could sneak into the ALCS. And if they're on the top part of this bracket and they beat the Mariners and they beat the Yankees, they would be a sneaky, dangerous team to face because they've got so many. They've got several offensive players. Their pitchers do absolutely swell at home, and they they've done well overall to keep themselves in the mix. And so, those are the Guardians and the Rays are the two teams I'm worried about the most. I think we handle the Mariners fine. I think we handle the Tampa Bay Rays fine. Honestly, I don't think the Yankees can touch us. I like that little Cleveland Guardians <laughs> plus. They have a World Series winning skipper at the helm of their team, which matters, especially in the postseason. Brett, appreciate your time, brother. As always, thank you for it. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday, bud. Yes, sir. Thank you. And to everyone in Louisiana, make sure you follow us on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Remember, we're your team every day. Go Strohs. Time is running out for you. Yeah, you listening right there in your car, in your truck, on your Alexa. Time is running out if you want to score tickets to see the Houston Astros live in person because our final Astros weekend giveaway is here and time is running out. It will run out this week. So if you want to go see the Strohs in the regular season, 
you got to take advantage. You got to go sign up for our rewards club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Go register in the rewards club for your chance to score four tickets to see Houston take on Tampa Bay Saturday, October the 1st. We'll even throw in a tour of the ballpark and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. This is the last Astros weekend giveaway of the regular season. And Astro weekend getaways, of course, are powered by Butcher AC, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. So if you want to see the Strohs live in person, go register. It's simple, it's easy, and it's free. We got to take a timeout. We'll update that poll question of the day for you. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 180! Raging Cajuns head football coach Michael Desimo joins RP3 and company to talk all things vermilion and white. It's time for Hashtag UL Culture with Coach Des. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you today? Good morning, Raymond. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. So a couple days have passed now since the game against Rice. Disappointing outcome, obviously. You've had a couple days to kind of marinate on it and had a couple days to look at the film. Uh, what kind of stands out to you about what happened uh, in Houston? I mean, you know, we didn't play very well, you know, which is, the way that we felt, you know, when we left the game. So we got to make sure we do a good job as coaches. We got to we got to get them prepared to go out there and go play better. Um, for us, it was just a variety of different things. It wasn't one position group, one player, one. You know, um, it was just kind of like plugging holes a little bit offensively. You know, it was you'd have one, you'd have a play, and you'd have a, you'd have a call come in, you'd have it set up, have it ready to go, and then you'd have an error here or there, and. You know, like I said, I think a little bit of everybody takes some ownership in that for sure. Um, I certainly take the bulk of it, but, you know, you, you got to play better if you want to win. And that's the bottom line. You can't go out there and flop around. You can't you can't drop balls, jump off sides, throw interceptions, you know, um, and do those things and expect to win. So we, we've, we've gotten too comfortable, I think, with leaving our defense and um, in some tough spots where they've had to kind of bail us out in the years past and, Last, you know, Saturday, as well as they played, you know, in the end, um, it just it wasn't enough for us to be able to come back. So, um, you know, hopefully that's something that we can kind of see. And I think as a team, we've got to learn to capture momentum when you have those momentum plays. You got to learn to capture it and run with it. So, um, you know, those are the things that stand out. But I mean, you know, overall, I mean, it was it was the way that uh, that we felt it was. You know, in the moment, we just. You know, we've got to, we've got to play better, man. We got to get them ready to play, and we got to go out there and got to execute a little better. So that's all it comes down to. It's also different because it was a road game, right? And and if, can you get give a little perspective there, coach, of how preparation is different and how, as a player, what are the challenges of going on the road? It's just a few hours to Houston. It's not like it's across the country, but still. It's a road game. You have to travel. You have to go through all that. You have to stay at the hotel, and you have to play in someone else's house. How much of a challenge is just going on the road in general? 
I feel like being on the road can be an advantage um, at times. You know, there's a lot more frustration and there's a lot more uh, distractions when you're at home for a lot of times with these players because they've got people coming to the games, their families are here, they're getting phone calls and texts about tickets and where they're supposed to be and all those things. So, uh, you know, we stay in a hotel for every home game as well. So that that part of the the deal is really not – it's really not I, I don't think it's that big of a deal I don't think it ever has been you know playing someone else's stadium that that's always sometimes that's something you've got to navigate a little bit but you know shoot we, we had a ton of fans there at the game that that really made it you know we, we had as much of a home field advantage as they did I felt like you know as far as crowd went and uh you know those things I just don't think that we can I don't think we can we can point to any of that I thought our kids handled the trip really well um, you know, our operations staff did a phenomenal job, as they always do, um, making sure everything went smoothly. We just, you know, like I said, for, for a variety of different reasons, you know, maybe it's, you know, maybe it, it's we got to maybe calm some of those guys down on offense a little bit early, you know, to not not make some of the mistakes that we did. Um, you know, maybe, you know, during practice we talked about doing some things a little bit differently in the way we're going to rest some things and, um, you know, there's just a bunch of different things that you go back to and say, well, why, why did we not function the way that we should um, in that game, really, until you got to the fourth quarter? So, you know, we, we just got to we got to figure out a way to play a little bit faster um, and certainly uh, play better than what we did offensively on Saturday. And, you know, that's that's what we'll do. But I don't think being on the road had a whole lot to do with that. You, you mentioned playing faster. Is that something that we could possibly see Saturday up at ULM where maybe the tempo is a little bit uh, faster to kind of help get you guys into a rhythm offensively sooner than later. Well, no, I mean you can't run tempo if you're not if you're not really having efficient plays early on. So, you know that's one of the things that tempo comes as you're having efficiency and you're moving the ball. You can play with tempo. What I'm talking about is our guys just cutting loose and playing a little bit. Uh, I got you. Some of the mistakes, some of the mistakes that we made, Raymond. You know, just you kind of watch it and you're like, golly, man. You know, it's just not, it's kind of out of character. Um, and, and I don't know what it is. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's we're too uptight to go out there and go play. And I think offense is, offense is a little different than defense. You know, on, on defense you, you're trying to get those guys fired up, chomping at the bit, ready to go play. Because defense, you know, you play with a little bit more of a, of an edge and an emotion. And then on offense you got to be able to go out there and go operate and go function and almost treat it like it's a scrimmage and have kind of that calm business-like approach to it. And, you know, and then I'm not sure if maybe that's part of it. I'm not sure if um, our guys still just haven't settled in to, to really believe in that, that we can be a good team offensively or, or they're worried about, you know, everyone talked about the streak every, every, every week. It seemed like that's all we heard about. Um, you know, maybe it was all that stuff. I don't know, but now we got it all out of the way. Uh, now we just get to go back and worry about playing ball. And for us, the big thing moving forward is, you know, every week it's about just trying to find a way to win the next one. And all the other things that were that were out there in the air, none of it really matters anymore. Um, you know, we, we had that Band-Aid ripped off, so now it's time for us just to go back, go to work, and uh, just try to find a way to win the next one. We're talking with Coach Dez, the man in charge of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns football program. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. Coach, I've talked to you a lot over the years, and I've talked to a lot of other coaches over the years, and and so many times they'll tell me you can do some of your best coaching and you can really 
have your team take a significant stride following a loss because it allows you to kind of reset things and reset the expectations and kind of challenge the kids as well. And they'll challenge themselves because no one likes defeat. Is that your perspective as well, that sometimes after a loss you can do some of your best coaching and kind of get the guys to buy in even more so and motivate them even more than maybe before? Well, I think you need to do your best coaching after you lose. Um, I think that as a staff, you need to do the best job that you can for your players and, and, and build that, help them build that confidence back in themselves. And, um, you know, which I think the biggest thing is that you find out what kind of team you have. You find out a lot about the character of your team when you have those things happen and the way that they respond because this is territory we hadn't been in in a while, you know, and that's, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. Uh, but, Again, it's always about the response. You know, I mean, I've said it in football. I've heard this a long time ago. You can A team can beat you twice if you don't respond the right way and you don't bounce back and you don't get moving on to the next one. And that's the thing that you can't let happen. You know, uh, you've got to learn from the, from the mistakes that you've made. You know, you, you're looking at it as, as a team and you've got, to, you've got to see the places where you can make improvement and you've got to have some urgency to make those improvements. And, um, you know, I, I believe, and I've, I've been told this a long time ago by a coach that I know that I, that I respect um, a whole lot, and he told me, you know, it's always easier to be hard on them and come down on them after you win than it is after you lose. And I've always felt that to be true. After you lose, the corrections have to be made, the mistakes and all that stuff. Yeah, sure, you're going to point it out, and you're going to you know, you're going to get it fixed. But, uh, you know, that's the time that they need to know that, it, you know, the game was never about just winning and losing for you with them. They have to know that, you know, we, we had a goal before we started this season and it wasn't right, you know, not, not winning a game, one game in the year. One game was not the the goal either way. You know, it was to win a Western Division championship. And fortunately, we're still in position to do that, right? Uh, they need to know that it's more about us still having our goals in front of us and it's still more about, you know, us caring about them as, as people more so than players and making sure that everything that we do is to help them continue to improve as players and people. So, um, you know, when it was actually Coach Cook at Notre Dame told me a long time ago, and, I mean, you know, it just it always made sense to me. So this week, you know, we're going to go back to it. We're going to correct the things. And, and like I told our staff, I said it's not about we're not correcting them and going there and saying we lost because you did this. It's we need to fix these things because we need to win the next game. So, you know, that's the way we're going to approach it. We have approached it, and, uh, you know, Sunday got us off to a good start with our players. And that next game is Saturday. You open up conference play with a road trip up to Monroe to play the in-state rival, the ULM Warhawks. They're 1-2 and two on the season, having defeated Nichols in Week 2. Uh, what type of challenges do the Warhawks present your team, Coach? And I know they're going to be up for the game, and your team will be up for the game. So how difficult is it going to be to go up to Monroe to get a win? Well, it's never really been easy up there, for sure. Um, so, it, you know, I mean, the thing is, is that it, whenever you have these rivalry games, it, it's it's gonna, it's always gonna be, it's always gonna be a dogfight. You know that going into it. For uh, uh, for Monroe, you know, defensively, they they hired Vic Koenig, uh, who's come in and he's he's done a really good job with that defense. You know, and people are gonna sit there and and, and look at it and say what they say, but you know, they lost to Texas and Alabama. Uh, so, you know, you take that with a grain of salt. Uh, the guy's done a great job. We played against him in 2018 when he was at Troy. Uh, he's got 
really uh, really does a great job on defense of making some of those fits a little bit awkward, play some really unique coverages. Um, so, you know, that that's something that's unique. Their players play really hard. You can tell they're playing hard for him and for Coach Bowden. Um, defensively, you know, they really they flew around. You know, they, you know, like most people, they were outclassed a little bit at times um, against Alabama, and special teams really kind of changed the tide in that game. But um, they, they really they got a stingy group on defense that flies around, and I think what Coach Cheney does on defense really suits them well. Um, offensively, you know, they, they've got Coach Kubik back over there as offensive coordinator. Um, he's been there before, you know, won a lot of games over there before with them on, on, on the previous staff. Um, the quarterback, I think, is one that makes a, is a difference maker. He can really run. I think he throws the ball well. Um, you know, they, he looks like he has all the answers to what they're trying to do offensively. You know, he knows where the ball is going to go. Uh, and I think they've got two really good backs. So I think they've got some good skill on offense. Um, certainly good scheme with those offensive and defensive coordinators. And, uh, you know, Coach Bowden has talked a lot about this team and about how he kind of feels like this team has really made some strides. So, you know, um, people look at the records and all those scores and all that stuff and, and say what they're going to say. But we certainly know that, that this team is really a good team. Uh, I think they've come a long way since last year. And, and last year we they took us down to the wire over here at home. So they're certainly uh, – Certainly, we're no, under no illusions that this thing is going to be anything other than a dogfight, and we know we have to go up there and go play really well to win. Coach, appreciate your time. As always, best of luck on Saturday in the uh, conference opener, and we'll talk to you next week, brother. All right, Raymond. It's Coach Des, Louisiana Raging Cajun head football coach. His team's coming off a loss. They're still 2-1 and one on the season. They open up conference play Saturday. Up in Fun Row, taking on the ULM Warhawks. Should be an interesting game. Even when ULM is down, it's always a tough game. It's always a weird game. I covered the game years ago that was in like a monsoon where no one showed up. Then I And that year they won that game to get bowl eligible, the Cajuns did. That was under Mark Hudspeth. It's always an interesting contest between these two, even when ULM is down. Hey, just a reminder. The world-famous Angola Prison Rodeo is back. And the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with tickets. You can lasso yourself a family four-pack of tickets to the Sunday, October the 2nd show by simply texting the word RODEO to 337-283-8100. That's RODEO to 337-283-8100. Simply shoot us a text so you can score yourself a family four-pack of tickets to the Angola Prison Rodeo, courtesy of The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We got to take a timeout. Open up the phone calls, phone lines, if you will. Update that poll question of the day. That's all next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League. 
We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. I'll repeat that last part. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win, and you get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. Simple. That's code 1037GAME, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 years of age to play, physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only, bonus issued as a free bet, one boost per eligible game, opt-in required. Parlay and wagering restrictions do apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. Licensee partner is Golden Nugget Lake Charles. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-877-770-STOP. Let's check in on the poll question of the day, shall we? Second week of the NFL season is in the books, and we have three teams in the AFC that are winless, 0-2, and all three of them were playoff participants a year ago. Still plenty of season to turn things around, but the Raiders out of Las Vegas, who were a wildcard team, are 0-2, even after adding Devontae Adams. The Tennessee Titans, who were your number one overall seed in the AFC a year ago, but were upset in the playoffs, they're 0-2. And the team that caught fire and caught the imagination of many of you out there listening, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and the Cincinnati Bengals, are 0-2, having lost to a Mitchell Trubisky-led Pittsburgh team and a Cooper Rush scout team quarterback-led Dallas Cowboys. Offensive line is still an issue in Cincinnati. We'll talk more about that when John Sheeran joins us at 8.30 today. But we asked you, which AFC playoff team from 2021 is the most surprising so far this season? And 67% of you say the Bengals, 19% say the Titans, and 14% say the Raiders. Let's get to some comments. Steve, Salty Steve on Twitter says, The Bungles, this looks like a Carson Palmer situation in Cincy. Heisman Trophy winner takes team from bottom to the top then cripples him and moves on and moves on to return to being mediocre. Sad sequel to a sad story. Hashtag save Joe nine. Ralph Bergeron says, well, two games in might be a little soon to panic. If I could only convince my inner saint self to think that way and sharing the gif of, Oh no, we suck again. Last son of Odin tweeted. Honestly, too many people are giving Burrow a pass. He said before the season he will continue to take sacks because he stays in the pocket longer to get receivers open instead of throwing the ball away. Hashtag Joey short career. And and part of the sacks that Joe has gotten in his career is because of that. He wants to hold on to the ball as long as he can to let Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd get open and get that separation on the DB so they can have the big, huge chunk play of 50, 60, 65, 70 yards. So he's going to take more sacks because of that. But the offensive line is also not great. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Now, last night there was two Monday night football games. But in the Parch household, 
It was also time to watch the debut episode of Dancing with the Stars on Disney+. Plus. It's a favorite show of my wife's. She hasn't watched it in a couple years. So she saw the advertisement. It's the first time, the first live streaming show on Disney+. Plus. So you actually got to watch it live. So it was a big deal. So I watched the games on my phone. And it was Dancing with the Stars time on the TV in the living room. The wife was happy. I make fun of her a little bit. I look to her. I go, stars? Uh, kind of being liberal with that term. <laughs> when, when the dancers are more of a star, like I recognize because watching the show with my wife over the years, I recognize the dancers more than I did the actual quote-unquote stars that were on the show. Okay, so that's 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 been the case for a while. But while we were watching Dancing with the Stars, which at first my daughter, Hattie, she wasn't really into. She wanted to play in her room. And then, I don't know, she heard music or, or came down the hallway and saw them dancing, like like doing some great dancing. And she was like, ooh. And then she sat down and snuggled up on the couch to watch Dancing with the Stars. Uh, shout out to the daughter. Because during the show, which is now hosted by Tyra Banks, during the show, my daughter, who's in dancing, loves dancing, God bless her, she was like, Daddy, you could be on that show. I was like, no, no. <laughs> no, no there'll, there'll be none of that. She goes, but Daddy, you, you're a star. You have your own radio show. You're a star. And I can teach you how to dance. God bless her. The optimism, the enthusiasm, the belief she has in her daddy to be on Dancing with the Stars just makes you feel all types of way. I just looked at her and said, sweetheart, that, that's, that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. There's never going to be an opportunity for me to be on type of a dancing show. I don't dance. I can't dance. As my wife found out on our wedding day, when she was unaware that I, in fact, lack dance moves. I was able to make it through a couple of dances with her on the dance floor with my two left feet and did not fall down and make a scene. That was a win on the wedding day 10 years ago. <laughs> Just saying. Dance moves? No, no. I have none. I have none. I do dance with my daughter, though. But I do goofy dancing. So... Unless there's a competition of goofy dance dad, uh, goofy dancing by dads. Now that, boom, I'm ready to win. Bring home the trophy. Dancing with the stars, not so much. Not so much. No, no. I, I have no rhythm. Two left feet, no rhythm. And this big body, no one wants to see on the dance floor gyrating. Just saying. No one wants to see that. No one wants to see me shaking my rump on the dance floor. I just want to know how many of the dancers, like of the stars, did you actually know? Uh, the stars of Dancing with the Stars? Yeah, like the celebrities. Um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I knew Selma Blair. Okay. The actress. Um, and she had a very nice dance, a very moving dance. She's battling uh, a, a crippling disease, so to her actually just being out there, coming out with a cane and actually dancing was it was impressive. I know her. 
I know Cheryl uh, Ladd. I do believe she's on there, the former Charlie's Angel. Mm. Hoping you know at least two more that I'm looking at this list. Two more? Actually, three. I had to be told of one guy being Arnold Schwarzenegger's son. I believe the son with the nanny. I'm not for sure. <laughs> so, But I did not know who that was. I did not know who the TikTok sensation was, even though she danced really well, maybe had the best dance of the night. Oh, Wayne Brady, who I actually yeah. picked to my wife. I did not see any of them dance to start the show. And I said, my money's on Wayne Brady. Okay. But I knew the dancers more than I do the stars. Oh. Well, I mean, I was talking to like Vinny from... Oh, oh yeah, Jersey Shore. Jersey I knew Shore, Vinny. And then Jordan Sparks, who yeah, Jordan won American Sparks, Idol. No. Oh, I, I never, I've only watched one episode of American Idol my entire life. Turn my mic off now. <laughs> Just, it's not my thing, man. It's not my thing to watch. Look, if I wanted to watch glorified karaoke, I'd go to the karaoke bar. That's all American Idol is. Is a bunch of people singing other people's songs. And how many of the folks on American Idol actually turn out to be good? Uh, let's see. There's a local guy that's in, I believe. There's like three of them. There's three of them. It's been on the, sh- it's been on the air for like 20 years. There is... There's a Katie Anna guy. There is Jordan Sparks. There's Kelly Clarkson. Those three people all made it. Carrie Underwood. Karen as well. well. Yes. But there's so many of them Mm -hmm. that win that are like the opening act on the casino circuit two years later because they don't write their own songs. How many people that were on there? Jennifer Hudson didn't win. She's amazing. Uh, The Daughtry guy didn't win. Amazing. How many people didn't win that have gone on to have better careers post-American Idol than the actual winners? I don't know, but I feel like Kelly Clarkson and Carrie Underwood are like top charts, though. Yeah, like they're yeah. like of the winners. Yeah, but do the math. So know. you got two out of what twenty-five? That's not a that's not a that's not a winning percentage. That's the type of slugging percentage and batting average that will get you sent to the minor leagues. Five names. Just saying. So whenever we do Dance with the Stars, watching next, I'll just come over. Or I'll have them come over to my house. I don't like the Ukrainian or Russian dancers, the brothers. I know them. And Cheryl Burke, she danced with Emmett Smith yeah. one year. So I, I, I know the Derek? dancers more. Derek Huff. Well, he's a judge. He's a judge now? I don't like that. See? Sad. Dancing. That was way too much Dancing with the Stars conversation. <laughs> We've got to. Hey, that, that'll be my Mondays now on, won't it? For at least a couple of months. The wife loves it. The kid loves it. Eh, that means dad will sit in his chair and watch football on his phone. And you know, just look up every once in a while and watch it as well. Hour number two is about to come to a close. We'll update that poll question of the day and get you set up for hour number three here at RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. And this is why you don't share personal life stuff on the air. Because I'm sitting there talking about watching Dancing with the Stars with my wife and my daughter. And my daughter thinks that I should be uh, on the show, which is adorable that she feels that way. And I struggle to name you the stars that are supposed to be the Dancing with the Stars. I'm just, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I just watch the show and there's people dancing. I know some of the dancers. I definitely know who Tyra Banks is. But now... You out there listening have been inspired by this conversation, which I already regret. Ralph Bergeron says, a game dance-off with you, five names, Kevin Foote, 
Matt Miguez, James Mesh, and CD would be highly entertaining for us. And, of course, he shared the famous gif of them dancing from the office. Now y'all want us to be in a dance competition. <sighs> I make terrible decisions. Hour number two has come to a close. Hour number three will kick it off with a man who has dance moves to spare. Jim Gozzolo will join us to talk all things McNeese. That's next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number three has arrived here in RP3 and Company. It's one of those days, one of those mornings where you regret, filled with regret. As I opened up a conversation about what we did last night in the Parch household. About being a good husband and letting my wife watch Dancing with the Stars and our daughter. And, and that led to an idea being thrown out there by you, the listener, of us having a dance-off our own Dancing with the Stars competition here at the station. And then my wife has chimed in. She says, it would be a great idea. You could do it for charity. Now it's just taken on a life of its own. This is why you should stick to sports, you big dummy. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals' 0-2 start and the offensive line issues with John Sheeran. Since he jungle, he's going to join us half an hour from right now. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Of the three AFC AFC teams that are 0-2, all three were, by the way, playoff teams last year. Which one's the most surprising? Is it Cincinnati? Is it Tennessee? Or is it Las Vegas? Go vote and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But right now, it's time for us to switch gears. Go to the college game. And talk to a man who covers the McNeese Cowboys. Award-winning columnist, reporter, television host. He's also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show every Wednesday night from 6 to 7 right here on The Game. Broadcasting live from Maplewood Burgers. And a man who has a crushed velvet leisure suit somewhere in his closet from his dancing days. Jim Gazzolo joins us now. Jim, good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm intrigued as what you're going to dance to, the tunes you're going to pick. Oh no! Oh, oh, this is this is so bad, so bad, so bad, so bad. Oh, all right, bud. I, 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 I want to see a little tango. <laughs> Do you want to see me break my leg? Is that what you're wanting? You wanting to see me crash into someone? You've yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> The leg, no, but the crashing into someone, sure, why not? Yeah, the leg, no, but if it gives me a chuckle, yeah, why not? That's not a problem. Oh, all right, bud, let's go back to Saturday. 
Why? Uh, yeah, well, yes, we have to. So, okay. I, Saturday for me was an honest kind of peak and a, a reflection of just how much work has to be done with this program. Because I think last year we were lulled into a sense of, okay, McNeese is close. You know, they didn't have a season last year. They're recovering from the Hurricanes. They're having to play two seasons in one year, so forth and so forth. And and I think that was kind of the mindset. But I think what we saw Saturday is, okay, Gary Goff's a good coach, but it's going to take him a while. Everyone's going to have to be patient because this program is far away from being one of the best teams in the conference. It's going to take a while. Yeah, I, mean, I, I use the word yuck. Let's <laughs> just simplify it. Uh, I, we've talked about rebuild. And I think that before you rebuild a house, you have to tear it down to the studs. And we're seeing the teardown right now. We're, we're seeing the ugly side of what 58 newcomers means because there's still 48 left over. How do they buy in? Uh, we're seeing what happens when you have two sophomore quarterbacks that haven't played much. We're seeing what happens when you had an offensive line that is missing two players on the left side, one of them an all-conference guy that wasn't very good to begin with. Um, we're seeing a head football coach trying to figure out what he has to work with and what he doesn't have to work with. And it's, it's not pretty right now. We have, we have kind of pulled back the covers, and it, it's not good. But it's needed, right, Jim? I mean, I, I, think, I think it's a needed, and it's kind of a wake-up call to be like, okay, now that the Hurricanes are behind us, now that all that's behind us and we're back to some sense of normalcy, this program has work to be done, and it's going to take time. I think that could be a good thing, especially when it comes to the expectations from the fan base. I, you know, I, I, think, I think people thought I was kidding in 2016 when I said that this is a seven-year mistake <laughs> that's starting to be made, and it's going to take six to seven years to fix it, and that was before the hurricanes. Um, that there was, you don't go so many years not addressing issues that are that are on the that don't aren't on the field with the program. Stuff like recruiting bases, stuff like um, how, how you how you're going out and getting coaches, the the transition periods of that. And if you don't deal with that then this piles on and suddenly you're four or five years behind other schools. And that, that's just what we've seen is you've missed out on three, four, maybe five recruiting classes. You've missed out on being competitive in because you didn't have a facility, because you didn't have coaches in place, because you were always changing coaches. It, it's just, you're just way behind in any continuity and you've got to get the continuity going first. You've got to understand what you need to go out and recruit and that's hard to do when all you're watching is on film unless you've been in the room with the guys. It's just it's a lot. You don't know who to trust, who to throw to, who works hard in practice. You don't know any of that until you actually get in the rooms. When you go back and you mentioned that, and I remember when you wrote that, give us some insight for those who may not know what exactly you're talking about, the decision that was made that is, is impacting them still to this day. Well, the decision that was made starts with, with the hiring of Lance Gidry. And it's not that Lance Gidry is a bad coach, but he didn't 
he didn't he wasn't a, he didn't want to be a head football coach. You then went to Sterling Gilbert, who nice resume, but didn't really want to be a head football coach at this level. And you kept bringing coaches down from top levels, so they kept saying, "I look around and I don't want to be here because I had everything else at the higher level." You bring you finally go and make the decision. We're going to bring in Gary Goff and bring him up a level. And Goff looks around and says, "Hey, I've got so much more than I had at Valdosta State." I'm excited to be here. I want to be here for a while. And the commitment is then made through him. And also there is a commitment from the top, from the president. Before, the last president, I don't know if he could find the football field. This, Dr. Burkell played football here. He wants to be a part of a winning. He understands what a winning football program does for his university. So that has to go, but that has to filter down through years. And, and that takes time. And when you... When you lose a coach in January, like they did for three straight years, December, January, you've eliminated all those relationships that built up. You've got to re-recruit. And so you're re-recruiting on a short basis. So you got it's, it's a cycle you're not in that doesn't really work. And so you just kind of – and then we had Cody Ogeron and, and the whole question of would another quarterback come in to challenge him because of the name, because of the starting job and – just a lot of things that didn't go well, and then it was piled on with the APR, then it was piled on with the hurricanes, pandemic, and the next thing you know, we're four or five years down the road, and we're no better. So, yeah, you had to rip this apart and start over so you're not doing this again in three years. We're talking with Jim Gazzolo, McNeese, Cowboys, beat writer, columnist for the Lake Charles American Press. He also hosts... The Beanie's Coaches Show every Wednesday night from 6 to 7. They're from Maplewood Burgers in Lake Charles. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, let's go back to Saturday's game. Okay. Alcorn State was, in my opinion, the more physical team, especially along the line of scrimmage. Uh, when you get 10 sacks in a ball game, that's usually a good indicator of that. Knox mm-hmm. Kadem. I've only seen what I've seen in the spring. I've only seen what I've seen so far this season. Struggles. Still quite not there, but it looks like he's their best option at quarterback. Can Gary Goff figure out a way to fix this offense to make this team more competitive? I think he can fix it in in terms of make it better. Can he fix it to where it's going to – go for 550 yards like he did at Valdesta? No, not this year. But I think there are there are pieces starting to fall into place. First of all, they can run the football. Yes. Deontay uh, McMahon is averaging about 10 yards a carry. Problem is you can't run the football consistently when you're down 21 nothing. So you have to stay in front of the chains. You cannot run the football when it's third and 17. Um, penalties killed them the other day. That's a whole different Southern Conference officiating thing we can get into it that would take a, a podcast. But, but they also had some moments. I mean, you look at it, Knox came through for 260, had a 59-yarder called back. They had a 32-yarder running play on the first play of the game called back. So there were some explosive plays, but the penalties took them away. Now, the question is, the fourth quarter – he threw two picks to cost them getting back in the game. You cannot turn the ball over if you're McNeese. You cannot be in third and 15 situation. You're not that explosive. And taking the top off the, off the defense is pretty hard to do 
when you're going to get sacked in two and a half seconds. So I think you've got to control the game more. You've got to run the ball more. And I think you've got to go with slants more than you do uh, bombs. But there are plays there. Um, Goff said last night, uh, talking to him, he said after, after watching the film, three or four times they missed uh, opportunities to get the ball to Pierce opening, Mason Pierce opening, and, and would have been big yards. But they're missing on those. Some of it was Knox Kadem. Some of it was the route. Some of it was mistakes on the offensive line. A lot of cleanup to do. Uh, I think the defense has played pretty well, though, considering. I will say this. When going over it, uh, Elkhorn State did not have a sustained drive in the game that was not benefited from a penalty. They had a long touchdown, uh, but they never really did. So McNeese's three turnovers killed them. Uh, that led to points, and the penalties really killed them the other night. Yeah, the only one big chunk play was that one that passed down the left sideline where yeah. the defender uh, got beat and fell down, and the wide receiver was able to stay in bounds and run down the, the sideline for the touchdown. Yeah. But besides that, the rest of them were benefited by multiple penalty, uh, penalties by McNeese. That said, it's a loss. Yeah. First 0-3 start since 1975, which was when Gerald Ford was the president. The disco era. The yes. disco era. The disco era where you were rocking a, a leisure suit, my friend. Let me ask you this. The environment, <laughs> I was, I was though. Exact, yes. The environment, though. More than 11,000 folks showed up for the game. Sold out tailgating. I, we, we got there early and got to experience it walking around. It, it was a great atmosphere for a home game. Will that remain? Will the community be there to rally and to support this team while they go through, as you say, a teardown before the rebuild? I think they will this year. Um, but they're going to have to see progress. And a lot of that depends on game time and LSU. Uh, let's be realistic about it. If LSU is on TV and McNeese is 2-7, and seven, uh, it's going to be tough to get. <laughs> I think there'll be plenty of good seats available, uh, but I do think that the, the town understands. The town has been through a rebuild of its own. I think it understands that that Goff says the right things. He, he, I've said this before. He's the first guy to come in here and want to be here, and hasn't been looking for his next job right away. So I, that's I want to see that. But no, they have to play better. I, I think they want. I think people want to see them play better. Uh, and they better win Saturday night, uh, um, or or this thing's really off the rails more than than we even thought after Saturday. I, I will agree with you, Jim. Golf talking to him, how he's engaged and everything he does feel like he wants to be there. It kind of reminds me of how Matt Viator viewed the job, right? Like he yeah. was like, "I want to be here," and and he ultimately left yeah. to take the the FBS job, and it didn't work out, but. Golf does have that feeling, and if the fans are patient there, it's going to take a while, and I think Saturday let us know that. We found that out, uh, honestly. That That's what we d uncovered, discovered, yeah. if you will. But if they're patient, he's going to turn that thing around and make them back to being a competitive, possible playoff team. Um, but it, it's going to take a little while. They're going to have to be patient. My friend, thank you for your time. As always, multimedia superstar, Jim Gazzolo. Thank you, bud. Uh, no problem. And get those dancing shoes on. Oh, now this man wants me to bud the dancing shoes. I'll see you Wednesday night, brother. <laughs> oh, 
Once again, McNeese Coaches Show. We launched it last week at Maplewood Burgers there on Nelson Road in Lake Charles. We're excited about this. Jim Gazzolo is the host. It's on 6 to 7 on Wednesday nights. You can listen to it right here on 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. Check it out. That's because, fellas, you can become a member of our rewards club. And once you do so, by the way, it's free, it's simple, it's easy. You're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes to take your lady out for a nice night on the town. Like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou. Mouthwatering steaks. Great sides, desserts. There's a cigar room, adult beverages. Trust me, my wife loves when I take her to Mr. Lester's. It's one of our favorite spots to go to. Your lady will enjoy it as well. Hey, you can also, though, score yourself a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. Great, fresh Gulf seafood. Amazing atmosphere. Or you could also score yourself a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. Something a little bit more casual, but still delicious. Humongous cheese sticks. Every time I go, I get these ginormous cheese sticks. It's almost like having a billy club in my hand. It's just made of cheese. Phenomenal. But you can't win those gift certificates if you don't become a member of our clubhouse today. So go sign up. Do yourself a favor. We're trying to help you out. So help us help you. Go become a member of our clubhouse today. Visiting 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Sign up. It's free. It's simple. And once you become a member, you'll have the chance to help yourself cure those date night blues. Let's talk a little New Orleans Saints football, shall we? Tough, tough Sunday. I get it. Not exactly happiness with the atrocious officiating and turnovers and injuries and losing to Tommy Terrific. But the team has to turn the page. Got another divisional game this coming weekend on the road in Charlotte, taking on the Carolina Panthers. But it was a disappointing game, but they have to turn the page. And Dennis Allen said that as much when he talked to the media yesterday. You know, you go back and watch the tape. There's some good things that happened in the game, but all of it gets overshadowed by, uh, you know, the five turnovers. So, um you know, we're in here today making all the corrections and making the adjustments that we need to make. And um, then we'll start turning our attention to Carolina. There's things for them to work on. Being committed to running the football, better play calling. Those are things that need to be worked on. But what about Winston? Once again, we find we find out what? An hour, hour and 15 minutes before kickoff on Sunday that, uh-oh, Jameis has four stress fractures in his back and is dealing with immense pain. And he's been doing it all week. So 
how much did the back injury, even though Jameis didn't use it as an excuse, but in reality, how much did Jameis having a bad back affect his play? I didn't see that. Again, you'll have to ask him whether you, whether he feels like that affected him or not. I don't, I don't, I don't think that was the case. Um, you know, really, when you go back and you evaluate that tape, um, you're going to say there was a call it a seven to nine minute stretch in the game where we weren't very good, and and, and we knew that that was going to be a field position game. We knew that that we were playing a really good defense. And I thought for the first three and a half quarters, we, we played the game the way it needed to be played. I thought we missed some opportunities at some big plays down the field. Um, and then I thought we, we, we may maybe tried to go to the well a little bit too often in, in terms of uh, taking those shots down the field. I thought there were some, some things underneath that maybe we could have taken advantage of. So he says, you got to ask the guy if his back injury affected his play. I, I think that's probably the coach's job to be able to evaluate that and, and see from that perspective. I was kind of sidestepping the answer there a little bit by Dennis Allen. And uh, he said that they only had like eight to nine minutes of bad play. Uh, okay. That's, that's glass half full. That's a, that's a man who looks at the tape and says, hey, we did a lot of things great. Scoring three points for most of the game. Uh, okay, all right. Let's. I'm gonna roll with it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna roll with it. I don't think that's exactly true, but that sounds. Uh, that's an interesting take on that. What about the sacks, though? Because he was roughed up. He was hit a lot. Sacked multiple times. Tampa's front seven got to him throughout the game, and uh, this is what Dennis Allen had to say about that. No, look, if you go back and you watch the tape, the protection was actually pretty good. Um, there was a couple of, you know, sacks that are, you know, um, you know, where Jameis kind of escapes the pocket and, and, and uh, you know, the one was, the, was uh, I think, the fumble uh, that we ended up recovering. And then, you know, the other one was on our sideline at the end of the first half. I think that was technically a sack. Um, I'd say there was probably – you know, two plays in there that I felt like, eh, you know, protection wasn't what I what I wanted it to be. So um, I didn't feel, although I was actually kind of surprised when I got the play-by-play -play that said six sacks, because um, I didn't feel that in the game. I actually thought the protection was pretty good. And then when you watch the tape, um, you know, overall, I thought I thought it I thought it was pretty good. He just said that he felt that the protection was pretty good and that he felt that a couple of them were on Jameis. Okay, I actually believe that. Anytime you have a quarterback sacked multiple times, more than four or five times in a game, some of those are going to be on the quarterback. Okay, and then the re and the rest of them are going to be on the offensive line. but doesn't think the back injury caused any issues with Jameis and then said, hey, you got to ask him about that. And then kind of threw his quarterback under the bus a little bit there by saying that he thought the protection was pretty good in a game where his quarterback was sacked six times and the offense looked anemic. And you had Pondwater on one guard and Cesar Ruiz on the other guard proving that they probably can't play guard in the National Football League.
And this man just sat there and told you, no, 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 no. I thought the protection was pretty good. Really? He didn't even know that his quarterback had been sacked six times. Oh, surprised when I looked at the stats when it was handed to me that it says here that uh, the quarterback was sacked six times. I thought the protection was pretty good. Are you paying attention? What about his defense, which he used to be in charge of? What about the fact they have no sacks? None. Through two games so far this season? I'm going to be, I haven't heard this yet, so I'm going to be interested to hear what his response is. Are sacks, the lack of them, rather, an issue? I don't see it as an issue. Look, the the two games that we have played, totally different games, um, you know, and how those games are being played. Um, I think Tampa was a lot more get the ball out of the quarterback's hand, um, there, there wasn't a lot of times where he was holding on to the ball to give us an opportunity to, to get to him. Um, and so, and look, they were five of 17 on third down. So, although we'd love to have, you know, a ton of sacks, the ultimate goal is to, you know, get off the field and get the ball back for your, for your offense. And I thought overall, I thought we did a pretty good job of that. Um, the sacks will come, you know, if I'm not mistaken, I, you guys would probably have a better memory about this than I do. I don't know that we had a lot of sacks to begin the season last year. Um, but I think we ended up being, you know, one of the better teams in terms of sacking the quarterback by the end of the year. So, so to recap, Dennis Allen, the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, does not believe that Jameis Winston having four stress fractures in his back and being in immense pain affect his play. He believes that his offensive line did a pretty good job with pass protection when his quarterback was sacked six times. And the fact that his defense is not pressuring the quarterback and not getting sacks, a defensive front that features Cam Jordan and Marcus Davenport and David Onyemata, not an issue either. So... Shout out to Dennis Allen. My man's got that glass half full approach. Doesn't think the offensive line did a poor job in the game. Doesn't think his defensive line didn't get enough pressure in the game. Doesn't think that four stress fractures in the back and immense pain affected his quarterback's play in the game. Well, heck, it sounds like maybe they won. I'm all about being positive. But did the man watch the same game we all watched? I just have questions. Just have some questions there. Did he watch the same game? Because are you thinking that your offensive line doesn't need to improve? Okay. By the way, we did get an explanation. It's not here, but we did get an explanation that their first-round pick from a year ago, Peyton Turner, who we're still waiting to blossom, uh, was a healthy scratch, by the way, on Sunday. He didn't play because they wanted to see what they had with another defensive tackle when they didn't spend a first-round draft pick on. Just uh, throwing that out there. Just just let that marinate for a second. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to talk more offensive line issues. 
But we're going to head to Cincinnati. Bengals, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, they're 0-2. Joe Burrow's been treated like a ragdoll so far yet again, just like he did last year. But can the team turn it around? Is there optimism in the Queen City? John Sheeran will join us from Cincy Jungle to talk all about it. That's next, right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings' stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code 1037GAME, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 years of age to play, physically present in Louisiana, select parishes only, bonus issued as a free bet, one boost per eligible game, opt-in is required, parlay and wagering restrictions do apply, eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms, and licensee partner is Golden Nugget Lake Charles, and if you have a gambling problem, call 1-877-770-STOP. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Who is the most surprising AFC playoff team to start the season off 0-2? Is it Tennessee? Is it Cincinnati? Or is it Las Vegas? <laughs> Go vote and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Right now, we're going to talk about one of those teams with a man who covers them. Our good friend from the Cincy Jungle, John Sheeran, joins us now. John, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. Appreciate you making the time. All right, bud, let's, let's get right to it. Off-season priority for the Bengals was offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. They spent money. They signed guys. These guys talked a good game. I'm going to be Joe Burrow's bodyguard. Here we come. Here we come. And through the first two games of the season, they're 0-2, and Joe Burrow has been sacked a bazillion times already. What's going wrong in the Queen City with that offensive line? Yeah, the more things change, the more they stay the same. He got seven sacks in the season opener, six sacks in this past game against Dallas. Now, granted, T.J. Watt, Michael Parsons, no joke, two of the best edge rushers in the entire league. And I think right now you have a situation where you're, the offensive line not only is not has not gelled together because they have only practiced for about a couple weeks as a full cohesive unit, but you also, you also just have guys that are just not playing up to their abilities. I think there are a lot of individual reps being lost um, from guys that shouldn't have this many losses, specifically at tackle Jonah Williams and Lel Collins. Lel has just not lived up to the billing of the high quality right tackle they expected. And, you know, there might be reasons why Dallas ended up letting him go with three years left on his contract. But also, he missed a lot of practice time this offseason with an injury. He ended up 
end up returning to practice fully until late in August, so maybe he's just a little bit rusty. There's no real excuse why Jonah Williams in year four after a perfectly healthy and fine offseason should be coming out of the gate this sluggish. I do think that there are issues with that left side of the offensive line in general because they have a, a rookie left guard in there, and in pass protection, he's not really gaining enough depth, and I think that's just a key for defensive coordinators to just run stunts all day, every day, just take the inside of Jonah Williams because the left guard is just not getting enough depth in his set, so the inside lane is pretty compromised there. So you have Jonah losing from the outside and the inside because of maybe an inexperienced left guard who's just kind of in over his head at the moment. So it's a lot of new pieces in there, four new starters, and at least two of them aren't living up to their billing right now. I think at center right guard, you're fine enough because those are solid veterans, but even still, like there, there are multiple le- leaky links on this offensive line right now that's causing a lot of problems. Does Joe hold on to the ball too long? Because he's admitted to wanting to do that because he likes the big chunk plays. He wants to get Jamar and T and Tyler open behind the DBs and get the big chunk play. Is he just holding on to the ball a little bit too much as well? I don't think it's a consistent issue, but it definitely impacts part of it. I think when you look at the total amount of sacks that just happen across the league most of them are on the quarterback a lot of it is is coverage as well and that's also another thing the Bengals are having issues creating spacing in the opposing secondary when teams are just running Tampa 2 or just two high safeties they're not able to do the things they were able to do last year successfully which is just target vertical routes down the boundaries now that you have two deep safeties there so you're letting plays develop and your offensive line is not winning quickly so you're holding the ball for three seconds to watch these plays develop and oftentimes when you know Joe is holding the ball and he's kind of panicking in the pocket a little bit and he takes a sack or a pressure, there's no real hot option for him or there's no check down. There's no place for him to get the ball out quickly. And when there is, he usually ends up making that play or just at least getting the ball out and it just unfortunately hasn't led to a lot of positive plays. So, yes, I think it's a combination of a lot of things and Burrow is always going to want to be that playmaker who tries to make a play with his legs and keep plays alive and he did that a couple of times against the Cowboys but just not enough what do you make of his comment after the game where he said uh, we're gonna have to find ways to win games different than what we did last year yeah it just comes down to we, we, we saw even out of the gate when they weren't you know clicking offensively they were at least attacking defenses down the field like we saw that in week one last year against the Vikings they even had a deep pa- uh, passing touchdown against the Bears in week two they've barely thrown the ball over 20 yards uh, so far through two games this year because they just haven't had a lot of opportunities teams aren't going to give them opportunities so they're stuck playing against you know coverages that have seven eight guys back there and again both uh, boundaries but both sidelines are covered deep you have a Mike linebacker dropping into the deep middle of the field so they're trying to run these you know deep daggers these in breaking routes over the middle of the field and those plays take time to develop and unfortunately the offensive line hasn't given Burrow enough time to let those plays develop and sometimes the receivers aren't getting open that's always part of it it's a it's a conglomeration of things that are really plaguing them right now and I think they're trying to find out how they can successfully sustain an offense against coverages they didn't have a lot of success against last year and clearly it's along the same lines this year so they've been you know harping on increasing efficiency in the run game they didn't have a single successful run in the first half against the Cowboys and they had a little bit more success in the second half and I think they're still trying to figure out which you know type of blocking scheme works best with this offensive line there may have to be a shift that comes with that but if they can run the ball successfully to maybe crowd the box a little bit that could free up space 
in the secondary to do what they want to do. I don't think they're completely clueless on how to beat cover two. I think they have a decent idea of the concepts that they want to run. But even when those concepts do work down the field and receivers getting open, you have the offensive line not holding up. And sometimes the offensive line holds up and it's not a good play design. There's no place for Joe to check the ball down. So it's just, again, I, I will say it once, I'll say it a thousand times. It is a lot of issues right now. You can't really point the finger at any one specific thing, but it's it's not good. How's the relationship between Joe and his head coach? I think it's fine. Like we've we've never heard any type of animosity, any type of you know backhanded um, uh, comments or anything like that. It's been now three three and a half years in the making, so we've we've no real reason to believe that there's any type of tension going on there. Um, but yeah, if the losing continues and there's continued inconsistency with the plan of attack, maybe. We, we will see how that relationship develops or maybe erodes a little bit. But as of right now, I don't think that's that's necessarily a concern. Last year, they struggled, right? We, we know this. They went through lulls in the season where they were not very good. And then they caught fire and were able to put together a magical run and nearly won the Super Bowl despite having Joe be sacked 70-plus times. So what's the level of optimism there in Cincinnati and in Ohio about the Bengals being able to, you know, turn this around, make some adjustments and get back on track. You know, I have heard this start compared to the Chiefs of last year when they were like three and four in the first seven games and Patrick Mahomes was turning the ball over constantly against similar coverages. But I think the difference is there's not a level of optimism that the coaching staff can turn that around like an Andy Reid eventually figured it out in Kansas City it kind of seems like a lot of the good graces that Zach Taylor built up after winning in the playoffs last year is all but evaporated now because some very similar issues are popping up again like there's not a lot of creativity with his play designs and the adjustments are just happening way too late and we've now had two weeks in a row where they've made comments about how defenses are showing different tendencies than what they've uh, examined in, in film study during the week and th- I mean that's fine like that it's early in the season teams are, aren't going to, to look the same as they did last year but you can't consistently take a full half of football to figure out what the best plan of attack is because at that point you're already down two touchdowns if your defense has a couple of lapses and I'm not blaming the defense at all they're allowed to give up a touchdown here and there and you know they did fine against both Mitchell Trubisky and Cooper Rush but the the time it takes for them to actually adjust and get their feet settled is taking way too long and it's unfortunately been a common theme with this coaching staff for three years now the AFC North seems wide open to me and I felt that way before the start of the season because I think Baltimore when healthy is going to be better and Cincinnati has that experience of the Super Bowl run in Cleveland well they're, they're the Browns but you know the Steelers are going to be competitive like always under Tomlin with the schedule the way it is John you got some tough games coming up Baltimore right is in the next few weeks Miami uh, New Orleans there's some tough games on the schedule when will it get to the point where it's possibly panic time on this season? I mean, starting 0-2 is already panicking enough because, you know, a small percentage of those teams end up making the playoffs. So, like, they're very much on the clock right now, and, and every game right now seems like a must-win. It does help that the entirety of the AFC North lost this past week by, I think, a combined 11 points. Yeah. My boss at, at Cincy Jungle said that might be a record for the the, mo- the smallest like win loss differential for a team a division that went 0 and 4. So it helps that the AFC North is not entirely at its full strength. I think Baltimore is really dangerous though. Like like they they just ended up facing a Miami team that really got hot 
in the second half, but I think Lamar Jackson is playing phenomenally. Cleveland remains competitive even without their quarterback, and like you said, the Steelers are always going to just somehow be around even with a corpse at quarterback. So, you know, the AFC North, it, it is what it is. They knew it was going to be tough when they entered the season, but you got Miami, you got, excuse me, the Jets coming up who, you know, aren't aren't completely a joke with Joe Flacco. You have Miami who looks really dangerous right now. And then Baltimore, and like you said, the Saints. So th- there are no easy games really left on the docket right now after they went through two teams with not so very good quarterbacks. So they have eliminated their own margin of error. So I think the, the pressure and the urgency right now is at as high as it could be. Yeah, if they lose to the Jets, I can only imagine what, Sports talk radio up in Cincinnati is oh going to be like. <laughs> oh, this is what, it will not. It will not be a pleasant experience, brother. It's always pleasant having you on. Thank you so much for making the time, John. Tell the people where they can go to get all your stuff, brother. Yeah, just log in to cincyjungle.com. We have all the coverage, analysis, and previews that you could need, and you can follow me on Twitter at John Two Underscore Sheeran. Buddy, can't wait to talk to you soon, my friend. Enjoy your week. Thanks, you too. Yeah, if, if they lose to the Jets, it's going to be – I mean, I'm a little surprised, but John's already telling you the percentages aren't good for teams that start 0-2, and there's already starting to feel some panic there in Cincinnati about the Bengals. So it's definitely something you want to nip in the bud sooner than later. And uh, getting back on the track – getting back on track with a win against the Jets would go a long way. Losing to the Jets, oof, that would be a wolf. we got to take a timeout. We'll finalize the poll question of the day when we return and get you set up for Kevin Foote and footnotes. It's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. I want to thank Brett Chancey from the Locked on Astros podcast, Coach Dez with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Jim Gazzolo of the late Charles American Press and John Sheeran from Cincy Jungle for joining us today on this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. We asked you a poll question of the day. You answered. We said, which AFC playoff team from a year ago who started off 0-2 is the most surprising to you? Is it the Cincinnati Bengals? Is it the Las Vegas Raiders? Or is it the Tennessee Titans? 67% of you say the Cincinnati Bengals. 17% say the Titans and 16% Say the Raiders. Thank you for all who voted on the poll question of the day. Left your comments. Appreciate you for doing that. Just a little tidbit of information back to what Dennis Allen had to say. He felt like the team didn't get a lot of sacks early last year when he was the defensive coordinator. Our research and development department, led by Hannah Five Name, says uh, the Saints, in fact, got two sacks against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in last season's opener, and then four sacks against the Panthers in week two. That would be six sacks through the first two games compared to this year, where there's no sacks. Zero through the first two games. So, just want to make sure to share that factual information out there with you. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parch III. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. It will be a foodie poll question of the day type of day, so make sure to tune in for that. But until then, be safe out there, be kind to one another, and Kevin Foote, And Footnotes is up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.